Amen. Amen. God, that is what we're praying for. God, we lift that up before you, Lord, and we pray that your heaven above would break out here on earth below. God, right now there are hurting people and there are lonely people. God, there are anxious people and stressed people this season. And Lord, what we need is your presence. What we need is your heaven breaking out here. God, you've sent the revival before. There's many of us, Lord, we can testify to our stories in the past of how you have moved. And God, we're asking that you would do it again. That you would do that again this morning as we open up your word. May you open up our hearts. We pray all this, Jesus, in your resurrected name. Amen. Church, you can go ahead and have a seat wherever you are as we dig into part two of our series, Christmas Comes Close. As a reminder, this series is about how God draws near in a socially distanced world. If you're worshiping with your, uh, with your family, you've got some kids, we've got some content that we made specifically with them in mind. You can head on over to EncounterChurch.org, get your kids all set up, and then come on back as we continue learning and growing together. Uh, last week we kicked off the series, and remember, we're using like uh, Matthew 1 when the angel comes to Mary and Joseph and says, uh, We're making good on the on the 700 year old prophecy from Isaiah that a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. They're going to call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And that's the idea that Christmas, that Jesus himself is drawing near to you. God is close. To you. And last week we heard about how God is close to you in your valley. Remember we said last a week ago that we can enjoy God on the mountaintop, but we grow close to him in the valleys. And now today we're looking at what happens. So today we're looking about hearing him in the wilderness. There's a difference. There's a difference between a valley and a wilderness, and it's usually marked by time, how long you're there for. So valleys are, are relatively short-lived. They're more acute sense of pain or despair. Wilderness experiences tend to go on and on and on and on and on and on and on. Wilderness are experienced, you can think of God's people in the wilderness, God's people, the Israelites, wandering around for 40 long years in the wilderness. Wilderness experiences tend to go on and on. I'm thinking about like um, a wilderness experience, uh, somebody just recent college grad, or maybe you're getting ready to, to graduate from college, and you're, you're doing the job search. You're trying to get everything lined up ahead of time. You're doing everything that you can. You're scoping out jobs, and you see that there's like entry-level position in your field. That's perfect. You open up the link, and it says five years of experience required for an entry-level position. What is that? How do I get experience for the job that I'm not supposed to need any experience for, but now it's required? It's a trap. I'm stuck. And you just go on and on. The circle continues, my friends. This is a, this is a wilderness, a wilderness type of experience. Um, some of you have also had like wilderness type experience. I'm thinking about somebody dealing with chronic pain or a chronic illness the kind of illness where you can't treat the cause, you can't treat the disease for whatever reason, and you're just like keeping the symptoms at bay. And as the treatment just goes on and on, and as the disease starts to get closer, there's not like a hope in sight. My friends, welcome to 
wilderness. Somebody who's stuck in this relationship cycle, it's like, this is the one. He's the one. She's the one. This is terminal, my friends. This is going somewhere. You should sit down. I think we should see other people. It was going somewhere. It wasn't going anywhere where I thought that it was going. Starting all over again. Welcome. Welcome to the wilderness. What we're going to learn this morning, what the character in the story in the Bible teaches us this morning, that this, that this wilderness experience, that your need actually becomes a gift when it drives us to listen for and to depend on God. Elijah in the story this morning teaches us that our need is actually a gift when it drives us to depend on God and to listen for his voice. Let me tell you a little bit about um, First Kings before and Elijah before we get into our story for this morning. Is that Elijah is a prophet of God, and he's already like right off the bat done some incredible things, and it definitely puts him on the radar of the king Ahab. Uh, king Ahab does not like Elijah. Elijah seems to be the guy to always bring bad news, oftentimes about the nation, about the king himself and some of the decisions. And King Ahab, instead of the dealing with the problems in his country and the famine and the drought, which is like biblical code for recession, depression type of stuff, and instead, King Ahab blames Elijah. And like all of his wrath, all of his energy is directed exactly towards Elijah. And Elijah just takes it. But Elijah, he doesn't get shaken. He doesn't get moved. He doesn't get scared. And Elijah's just after him all the time. Or they say, uh, you know, Ahab, if he can't get the job done, if, if the man can't get the job done, what do you do? You send a woman. And so instead of King Ahab, he sends his wife Jezebel. Jezebel opens one line. She just makes this declaration. Ahab's been trying to get Elijah for a long time. Jezebel, his wife, the queen, says, by this time tomorrow, Elijah, you're going to be dead. And we open up, we see 1 Kings 19, verse 3, and we say, now Elijah is afraid, and he ran for his life, right? She's, she's not messing around. When Jezebel gets involved, he gets running. Elijah's afraid, he ran for his life, and when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, it's a big tree, lots of shade, and he sat down under it and he prayed that he might die. Key phrase, I want you to underline this or I want you to remember this. I have had enough, Lord. He said, take my life, I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the bush and he fell asleep. He, he fell asleep. <laughs> It would probably be fair to say that he didn't just fall asleep as he passed out. For, for those of you paying attention, for those of you maybe with a map and you're kind of curious in some of the geography, where he was running from to that wilderness experience near Beersheba in Judah, that's around 100 miles he, he starts running, he takes off, he keeps on running like his life depends on it because, friends, his life depended on it. A hundred miles now he's been on the run. He finds some shade in the middle of nowhere all by himself, and he lays down and falls asleep more like passing out. He is done. I've had enough. I'm 
sick of this. You know, the thing is about Elijah, already in just a couple chapters, like, go ahead, flip back. Uh, chapter 17, chapter 18, he has seen some things. He has done some things. I mean, Elijah, already in the story, he confronted King Ahab. That's not a small task. He was the guy who brought the bad news. Uh, Ahab, I just want you to know what God told me to tell you is there's going to be a drought. There's not going to be any rain. We have seen Elijah already in the story uh, successfully predict, prophesy about both the beginning of and the end of a drought. He took on uh, 850 Baal uh, uh, priests and priestesses on top of a mountain, uh, uh, challenging the God of Elijah, Yahweh, the God of all of us today. Uh, Baal didn't show up. Yahweh did. We have seen Elijah already in the story raise the dead back to life again. And now he's had enough. I'm out. As some of you, I just want, I want to invite you to write yourself into the story. Maybe you didn't run 100 miles and find some shade and pass out, but have you just said, I'm done? I've had enough. There's a difference, isn't there, between being tired and being tired of tired. Like, you get, you get tired when you've had a long day. You get tired of tired when you're trying to work your baby steps. <laughs> you're trying to be financially responsible, and maybe you're trying to clean up a little bit of a, a mess that you've had in the past. And, and, like, financially, you're trying to make better decisions and the right decisions and to save money as much as you can to pinch penny, and every penny counts. And then the little indicator, the check engine light comes on in your car, and you're like, yeah, come on. The toilet starts leaking, like, come on. I'm not like tired. I'm tired of being tired. You've got teenagers at home and they're like doing the asserting their independence thing and you're trying to like navigate the new and ever-changing relationship dynamics in your home. And it just, that's a sophisticated way of saying you're just arguing with each other all the time. And like after another slammed door and I can't stand you and I can't wait to be out of here and under my roof, another one of these arguments, it's just silent. You're not tired. You're tired of being tired. This is where a lot of us are right now. I think like there's a second round of COVID shutdowns. A second round now of just, just wondering how long this is going to last. It's not like it's not like I'm tired. When you're tired of being tired, there's a different word for it and there's a different remedy for it. The word for it is weary. I don't just need a nap. That's the remedy for just being tired. But when you're tired of being tired, when you're weary, the remedy of it isn't just take a nap. It might start there, but the remedy is nothing short than a full-on encounter of the divine, an encounter of Jesus in your life. That's the remedy from being weary. So what does God do? What's God going to do for Elijah in this story who's tired? He's been through so much. He's done so much. And still it comes to this. He's sick of this. I'm ready to be done. I have had enough. I'm tired of being tired. I'm weary. And we're going to see God. He doesn't just give him rest. He gives him that encounter of his presence that we talked about earlier. Listen on in, in verse 10. 
I'm sorry, verse 5. And all at once, now he's tired, he fell asleep, passed out. Verse 5, all at once an angel touched him, Elijah, and said, get up and eat. And Elijah looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals in a jar of water. Why would the angel provide such a physical demonstration of his compassion? Like, why, why would God need to bake bread over hot coals? Just make the bread appear. He ate, he, so he gets up, he ate, he drank, and then he laid down again. I, I want to make an, a comment on that one especially, but just, like, notice what God doesn't do. God doesn't, through the angel, like, nudge him, wake him up, and say, Elijah, how dare you? You remember when I raised that boy back to life? He was dead, and then he's alive again because, because I told you to, to do this, and then you raised him from the dead? Elijah, how could you? You remember when you took on 850 Baal prophets? Elijah, how could you? Remember when you said, look, look, the drought is over. There's a cloud. And everybody said, I don't see a cloud. And seven times you had to say, look, there's a cloud right over the hill. And the seventh time they said, no, 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 the cloud is only the size of a man's hand. But you said, yeah, but little is a lot when God is in it. And the little cloud grew bigger and bigger, and the sky grew darker and darker, and it just didn't rain. It poured to end the drought. Elijah, how could you doubt me in this moment? God doesn't rebuke him. As much as I would have loved to hear the sermon that God would have given him, he doesn't give him a, a sermon. God looks over at Elijah, and he says, I, I baked Bread over hot coals. Just like mom used to do. I don't know that. That's, that's not in the Bible. I'm just, I'm, I'm just making that up. But I kind of wonder if God didn't do it just to, just to remind him that he's not alone. Uh, uh, put, put your lips around the, the clay jar of water. It, it's not a miraculous brook like I've done for you in the past. It, it feels familiar. It's tangible. I, God says, I'm here. I'm tangible. I'm right here. He provides the coals. He provides the, the bread baked over them. He provides the jar of water. Elijah gets up, takes them, and goes back to sleep again. He, he was tired. He was tired of being tired, but he's also tired. And God gives him enough to meet him in that moment for just that moment. May we not ever underestimate the spiritual power of a snack and a nap. <laughs> It's not everything. It, it doesn't fix his, his weariness. But it's something. It's, it's a start. And then God comes back. God always comes back. I think some, sometimes somebody out there maybe had God move in your life once. And then life set in. And life became difficult and stressed and anxious. And you're wondering if God is going to come back. I want you to know, God always comes back. <laughs> Verse 10. Elijah now replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. 
The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with a sword, and I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Listen to something, though. He's not the only one left. That's, that's hyperbole. Uh, that's, that's not true. Exactly so. And it's okay to say that Elijah said that something that's not true because these characters and stories are not heroes to emulate. Their stories are cautionary tales to drive our dependence on God. That's not true. And he says, I'm the only one left. Earlier in 1 Kings chapter 18, a different prophet comes to Elijah and says, hey, listen, first of all, I'm another prophet. Second, I've got a hundred other loyal God followers that are threatened right now. So I hid them in caves. All around, and I've been feeding them, and I've been providing them with water. There's many more of us. You're not the only one left. Yet in the next chapter, in chapter 19, he goes, listen, I'm the only one. I'm it. He wasn't the only one. He wasn't it. But that's what happens when you become tired of being tired, when you get to that point of exhaustion and just like weariness. Like your perspective becomes limited, and you can't see what's true. This is so critically important for why at Encounter, why we do life together, why we have community, because I need people, you need people in your life that are going to remind you about what's true and what's not. This is why not only we do life together, we also experience God daily. We got to open up the word and we got to have the word read us and open us up as well. It's important because we need to be reminded, our perspective needs to shift to know what's true and what's not. I'm the only one left. You're not the only one left. But we continue on in verse 11. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then a, and then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. The Lord, though, was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. The wind blew and the earth shook. And the fire raged. But God was not in the extraordinary. He was in the ordinary. He was in the whisper. Let me just ask you a question. Why is it that when life it's very, very difficult. Why is it that when we become overwhelmed with stress and overcome with anxiety, that God becomes so quiet? He's quiet and he whispers. close to you right now. 
And if he's not shouting at you, and if he's not making the ground shake beneath you or the wind rage above you, if the fire isn't scorching your enemies in front of you, it's because he's close. He's right by you. And he doesn't need to shout. The devil will shout his lies. God whispers the truth. And he's whispering the truth to you. He whispers because he's close. Got some, I got little kids at home. And one of the things that like I've just grown accustomed now is getting woken up in the middle of the night by, by one of the kids coming and saying, I had a bad dream. Yeah. Dad, dad, they used to call out for mom, but like she doesn't get out of bed. So they just they just learned that about they call out for me now, dad, until I come in. And I come into my son's bedroom and he just says, I had a bad dream. And I like okay, you know, it's, it's going to be okay. It's, it's not real. You know, you're, you're fine. You're okay. And I'll try to go. And he goes, I'm sorry, Dad, I, maybe you didn't understand. I had a bad dream. <laughs> I know what I have to do. I don't get to go to my bed that night. I go into his bed, and he's got a bunk bed, and he's got um, a level, a, a, a cubic yardage of stuffed animal in, in the bottom of his limited space in, in his bunk bed. And, and I know what my job is in that moment is that because of the stuffed animals, I don't get to sleep at, at the, like the long way of his bed either. I get six foot one grown man. I'm cuddled, curled up at the foot of his child's twin bed. And to this day, I cannot think, I, I can't think of a single time when he had two bad dreams in one night. A presence makes a difference. A proximity makes a difference. He's close to you in this wilderness that has been stretching on and on and on, that maybe only you know about it. Presence makes a difference. He's close by to you. Remember, Remember, several weeks ago, I, I, I gave you this, like, leadership tip, a leadership hack that somebody gave to me a long time ago. They said, when somebody gets angry at you, and when somebody's difficult with you, and they start to raise their voice, don't raise your voice in response, because they'll escalate your, theirs, and then you'll just be shouting at each other, and nothing will get done. When somebody raises their voice to you, you lower your voice a few degrees to them, and just listen, just watch as they also lower their voice to you, and then watch as they turn their head, and as they, as they lean in, to hear what you have to say. Church, is it possible right now that maybe you're the difficult person? That maybe I'm the difficult person? That this season, as much as we have going on and that is going on around us, is it possible, though, that through it all to Jesus, we have been disobedient, that we have been disbelieving, that we have been just sinful? and difficult. And Jesus, for his part, when we're difficult, and when we're disobedient, and when we're disrespectful, Jesus doesn't yell. He doesn't raise his voice and shout at us because he cares. He quiets down, and he brings a whisper. And when we're the difficult one, it's our job 
to turn our heads and to lean in and listen for his voice whispering in the wilderness. This is the story of Jennifer earlier. You heard a little bit of it, but I just have to highlight one more time how absolutely beautiful it is that during a pandemic, when the church came back in person for just a little while, she's like, this is the time. With everything going on, she turns her head, she leans in, and she listens to that still, quiet voice of her Father in heaven calling her close by. And, you know, she even, she even signed up to serve in a bunch of different areas. Some of you guys, you've been attending Encounter for years and you haven't signed up to serve. But she does. She turns and she listens to the voice of her father who has always been near this whole time. And so, Jennifer, if you're watching, and I'm absolutely confident that you are, may God bless you for turning and listening. May God keep you. May he make his face to shine on you. May he bless you with the peace of his presence forever and ever. And church, may God bless you and keep you and bestow upon you his presence, the peace of his presence, as you too turn and listen to your father calling you home. He whispers, because he's near. Let's pray together. Our God, that's what we do. When it's difficult, and when hardships come, when anxiety comes, when stress happens, God, when questions about the future surround us, we don't yell, we don't shout. We turn our heads listen to your quiet, still voice calling us home and giving us our next steps. God, I pray that that, leaning in and listening to the whisper, God, I pray that that is how we fight this week.